Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Azure podcast with your hosts, Sam Foote and Alan Armstrong. If you're new here, we're a pair of Azure and Microsoft 365 focused IT security professionals. It's episode six of season five. Alan and I recently had a discussion around Azure AI Studio. Here are a few things that we covered. What is AI and what do organizations use large language models for? What is Azure AI Studio and what problems is it solving? And my initial impressions of using AI Studio for the first time. We've noticed a large number of you aren't subscribed. If you do enjoy our podcast, please do consider subscribing. It would mean a lot to us for you to show the support to the show. It's a really great episode. So without further delay, let's jump in. Hey, Alan, how are you doing this week? Hey, Sam, not doing too bad. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Not too bad. Any um, Microsoft-y sort of updates or anything interesting over the past week or so? I'm sure there has been, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Um, can you think of any at the moment? No, I've been off work for a couple of weeks, so I've um, been, yeah, uh, dealing with a newborn. So <laughs> I'm, um, <laughs> I, I've definitely been out of the technology world, uh, except for uh, playing around with AI Studio. Um, uh, yeah, I, I haven't been really keeping up with too much. Um, I'm trying to stay off Twitter, sorry X, um, for the past week or so. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah, um, well, as you said, you know, I've been helping out. Uh, take some of your workload at, at the office so you know <laughs> no yeah i um i haven't really seen um i haven't really seen too much actually over the past um week or so um i i feel like our it was it was interesting i think from last week to see all of the updates um from sort of january you know uh, when we pulled together that list i don't know how many items we had it might have been 15 or so or 10 or 15 items and you to to me it's really interesting to wait sort of a month and to see all of the updates from one singular month right and then to sort of um you know summarize them in an episode um it's it's really interesting to just really understand how sort of wide and and deep the operate of the offering is across like azure and 365 and how many teams there must be, you know, pushing out new product releases almost daily, right? It's pretty much impossible to, you know, it could be a job in itself just keeping up with, you know, uh, latest changes. Yeah, definitely. And you're right, you know, and the um, the customer connection programs, you know, there's a lot sort of waiting to, yeah. to go. And there is a, probably a few things going to be released this month, I think, if I remember, but... Yeah, there's a lot building. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. So, Sam, Sam, even, um, shall we start sort of going into to, into our episode? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so shall we start with you know what AI, artificial intelligence, is generally, and um, you know what are you know these large language models. Yeah, so I, 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 yeah, I think it's probably worth just starting uh, from the basics, really. And we're, we're probably not going to get much further than uh, basics in this episode. Well, I don't know. I suppose it depends uh, where you are on your sort of AI journey, so to speak. Um, because uh, I think everybody's okay. Let's let's do a generalization. I would, I would. I would assume that most of the people listening to this episode have at least heard of artificial intelligence 
and probably have heard of large language models or uh, chat GPT uh, as, as a, a good example of a large language model. Um, artificial intelligence, um, to sum it up, is a is a way to uh, represent um, large data sets uh, in a way that allows you to um, query them. So in the case of a large language model, um, we'll take ChatGPT as the example. That large language model is is um, trained on a some some type of data set. Um, in the case of ChatGPT, it's uh, effectively the internet up to a predetermined date. Don't ask me when that is. I think it was approximately two-ish years ago, something like that. I believe later revisions move that um, move that sort of forward in time. Um, and, and what it's what it's really essentially allowing uh, you to do is to query that data set in a um, in a a language first approach. So you effectively you can ask it questions and it will return responses in um, natural language uh, back to you. So, you know, um, if your data set is trained on, uh, let's say Wikipedia as an example, you could ask it something like, um, give me the population uh, in America, as an example. Maybe that piece of data is stored on a Wikipedia article um, in your data set. Um, and then it can return it, not just giving you like the specific number, but it can also give you a, a bit more context in and around that. Um, so, so you might ask it, what has been the maybe what what is what has been the population change over the past ten years? And if it's got it as part of its data set, it can return that data to you. But it can also help to summarize and um, to give you more contextual information around the answer um, that it's giving you. Um, it, it's not also just um, language models. There are vision models as well in artificial intelligence that are quite um, widely used. So um, a lot of these models are generative in nature. Um, so effectively what they can do is they can uh, generate content on the fly for you, be that text content, image content, and potentially video content as well. And video is just a collection of images, uh, really. So. Um, what that generative nature does is it, it, it's not a um, a one-to-one -one factual representation of the real world, but it's generating the content that it thinks that you want, given your search prompt or criteria that you've given it. Um, th this has led to people sort of criticizing generative AI models because they're effectively saying that it's making up um, content that it's giving back to you. And and it can do it in such a convincing way that it can, you know, it can lead to uh, you believing that something that's been generated um, is actually factually accurate. This is why we see a lot of these generative large language models coming with um, with uh, um, disclaimers and um, low levels of warranty uh, because effectively uh, these models are generating the content that they're giving back to you. Now, for a lot of use cases, that may not be applicable to be used, right? So um, if if the data set that you're pulling from, you need exact 100% uh, 
um, answers from uh, a generative AI. Maybe you're in a regulated industry. Um, maybe you need absolute guarantee of, of those responses. But for a lot of use cases, um, uh, it might actually be applicable to uh, to use generative content. Um, maybe it's it's marketing content X, Y, or Z. Um, so 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 I, I, I'm not gonna. We could do a whole episode about what is AI, what are the different types of models that are available, the different approaches to AI. Um, the, and there's many different you know um, acronyms um, that are used: um, artificial intelligence, machine learning. I'm not going to dive into into those in too much depth. Um, just just know that our examples throughout this um, this episode are really going to be around large language models and fine tuning of large language models, um, uh, because that's where there is some really good um, business and organization use cases um, at the moment. Okay, great. Thanks, Sam, for that. Uh, I'd say brief, but again, it's quite a large sort of section to sort of talk about. So, yeah. And as you said, we're kind of hitting a, and especially in this episode, we're hitting a probably a subsection of of AI. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I guess moving on to sort of the sort of next question, you know, what what are the use cases for AI? You know, we see, I guess we've seen a lot of um, Microsoft Copilot being talked about as as a as a use case within the 365 but there's there's various other ones as well yeah so that that generative nature of uh, large language models is um and and other types of models is really powerful because effectively it's creating content that didn't once exist right so it can in infer context from a data set to produce some type of output so what what you could use and we see it quite a lot is summarization of content like um, take this blog post and summarize it for me in five sentences as as an example um we see and that that could be um that could be a really powerful for for any type of um business because there are for instance marketing content um you know um reworking your blog posts into um, Twitter, sorry, X posts, uh, summarizing that content. Um, There's also, um, we're seeing these models being integrated with other technology. Um, For instance, is it called Microsoft Designer? Um, Designer Studio, I can't remember the exact name, but effectively like an online Canva Photoshop um, equivalent where you can effectively describe what it is that you want to be generated and it can generate um, design um, ideas and content for you. Um, we're seeing it integrated with things like PowerPoint, where you can describe um, what you want to be shown um, on a slide and it will generate the content um, to go into that slide, pulling from um, it, its data. It's it's probably worth um, talking about uh, fine tuning um, and we'll go into this a bit in a bit more depth with um, AI AI Studio. But really, the data that your model is connected to or trained on is really important um, because what you're searching for. So, for instance, if you're writing if you're writing a blog post for your company and you want to summarize a Microsoft product pulling from their product pages, summarized content 
could be very valuable and make make your process a lot more efficient right if you could say you know um describe as your ai studio to me in f- you know in five bullet points that could be a a massive time saver but also get you to a proof of concept or a draft version very quickly right um but that's all well and good if you want to pull data from the internet now we're seeing things like 365 copilot where um essentially microsoft are allowing you to instead of searching like a cache archive of the internet they're actually allowing you to search the content of your organization in microsoft 365 so instead of saying um you know uh, summarize um you know um ai studio um you could effectively say um summarize um this uh, word document um that we've produced maybe you've created a statement of work maybe and you want the high level um maybe you want the high level bullet points um from that statement of work to send to a client um that's where we're starting to we're starting to get sort of organize internal organization efficiency where we allow an a trained large language model uh, but pointed at our data source um to to sort of process and summarize our own data um that's just one that's just one example it could also be used for searching um so if you've got large amounts of data you can um um, get things things like 365 copilot to go and search all of the data that you've got access to that's kind of a hot topic at the moment because um it allows you to search um data silos that you may not have realized that you had access to um you know um copilot um set, you know um uh, give me all the pay slips that i have access to not only my own you know as 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 a like a, a silly example to give you right um making sure that you've only got access to the data that you sort of need to know um is going to become more prevalent uh with um these large language models um j- just because of the far reaching nature and sort of um ease of access um that they give you cool yeah that's definitely some definitely some use cases there and we're seeing it more and more we're seeing a lot of you know companies i guess dive into those those similar use cases about summarization and things like that so it's definitely a key uh topic or at least um you know uh, adoption within organizations yeah and i i i think all i all i'm doing is i'm, I'm keeping it quite aligned with the types of topics that we're going to talk about for ai studio and mm-hmm. how it's really applicable and how i see like us using it as an example um there are obviously many other machine learning models techniques and tools you know um uh that that can be used and are used in many different scenarios um here we're really sort of um leaning in on that generative and large language model sort of uh workloads okay so that kind of leads us in us into the next sort of sort of area so um, we meant you mentioned Azure AI Studio. You know how what's that helping us with? Okay, so let's let's say you've got a data source that isn't even in three six five. Let's say we'll use a working example that you are an e com. We are an e commerce brand. Okay, we sell 
what do we sell, Alan? Mouse mats. We sell mouse mats because we like mouse mats, don't we, Alan? Especially heated mouse mats. We sell heated mouse mats. Okay, Alan. yeah. Um, imagine that we've got our product documentation, our specifications, our bill of materials, X, Y, and Z. Um, they may be stored in, let's say they're stored in text files as a really basic example that we'll use um, going going through this, this 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 sort of example now any sort of public large language model isn't going to know about that data set is it unless you in theory you could upload them each time you use them i suppose to um like um open ai chat gpt uh what's the microsoft one is it bing is it bing chat you could it's, add it it's it's now been rebranded just copilot copilot right so <laughs> insert any number of the copilots um <laughs> anyway so so you either upload it to chat gpt or to copilot now um you might have sensitive information uh inside of that data store that you might not want to upload to um open ai I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that you might have a a governance data sovereignty issue that you might not, might not be able to do that. Um, you also might not want to do that um, theoretically directly with Microsoft, but then you probably wouldn't use this solution anyway. So we'll just pretend that Copilot doesn't exist at the moment. Let's say that Copilot um, doesn't have the ability to search in the way that you want to or have the granularity uh, that you want to. There are some other reasons why you would use um, AI Studio. So um, you've got your own custom data set. You want to use a large language model because maybe you want to build like a um, like a Q&A chatbot for your website, as an example. And there is a bot framework, and we'll just put that to one side um, for the moment because I would say that that's like chatbot version 1.0. This is like next version, I would say, right? So you want to build a chatbot for your website. Now, you don't want your chatbot to just be pre-canned with like dummy responses, you know, um, searching for keywords, um, searching for um, sort of uh, con context and content from your users to sort of trigger different workflows. What you really want to do is to connect that um, chatbot with your actual real data source. Now, if you were to do this by yourself, um, it's certainly possible. You could um, build, uh, you could either train your own model, which would be expensive and complex, and you would need specialist brain power to do that. I mean, all we sell is mouse mats, right? We're not in the business of creating AI models. Well, maybe we are, I don't know, right? Um, so you could go through, you could start, to, maybe you take a, a publicly accessible model because there are models that are open source. Um, uh, Microsoft has models that, anybody can use facebook does um the hugging face community has thousands of models that you can just effectively use and fine tune on your data so it is possible um and there are tool sets and tool chains to help you with that um hugging face is a good example of that um silly name great emojis but um essentially what hugging face is doing is it's it's giving um AI model creators a platform um, and sort of framework for people to to access those models and to connect their own fine tune and connect their own data. Now, um, 
Microsoft um, AI Studio is is really about bringing a lot of that capability into one um, specific uh, one one well, one singular area, basically. Um, so you can explore. Um, there's a model catalog inside of um, Azure AI Studio, which brings together. Um, not only sort of Microsoft's and OpenAI's models, but also um, the wider community into one single place. Um, it gives you and your team, um, and we'll talk about you know team collaboration as well when we go into it. Um, it's it's bringing it into one um, sort of area that you can, and effectively like a if you sort of ignore that Microsoft is hosting this, a private area for you and your organization to work on these models, fine tune them um, and connect them to data um, in, in one place. And really what they're what, what it's trying to do is it's trying to reduce uh, risk by having it sort of managed in one central place with analytics um, to see how things are working, to give you that end-to-end -end workflow of you know uh, specifying the model that you want to use, training it, validating it, and we'll talk through some of that process as well, um, but also to improve that sort of uh, team collaboration, productivity, efficiency of getting that model, um, that model connected to your data into a like a production ready state as quickly as possible. Because you could go through the process of building this complete tool chain end to end yourself, um, but I would say that would require more advanced knowledge um, than. Than, than what is needed for, for AI Studio. It's probably worth just calling out uh, now that AI Studio is in um, a public preview at the moment. Um, so when we talk about getting it into production, uh, Microsoft are also caveating, caveating that as we speak, as it's not ready for production just yet because it's preview, but this is the whole you know uh, way to sort of um, uh, productionize your, your, your AI workflow. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I mean the preview thing, like you said, you know, Microsoft do leave uh, quite sometimes leave a lot of stuff in preview, and it's generally pretty much ready to go, isn't it? It's just maybe their support isn't um, uh, populated. I figure about I can't remember what the word. You know, it's them got the full you know, support team backing it just yet um, for any issues that might be, but. Um, but yeah, I don't think anything being in preview should really put people off taking it into production because there's been services have been in product in preview for years, but actually have been actually you know functioning completely fine. Yeah, and and it's probably worth calling out that a, a lot of what AI Studio is is wrappers around other services in inside of Azure as well. Um, so. I'm I'm not putting down what the product is at all because it's sort of that glue in between a lot of other services. Um, but you know when we're talking about the models themselves being production ready, they're already there in in GA. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So can so you had a a go at setting up and playing with it. I say playing, um, using it. Um, can you give us uh, your initial impressions from your testing? Yeah, I, I think it's probably going to be better if I just describe going through sort of an initial setup and, and, and basically what I did um, to, to, to test it out. So um, 
to get started, you go to um, the Azure AI Studio. It's a completely separate portal um, that, that you access. Probably worth calling out that there is a lot of deep dives and Microsoft um, content, especially on YouTube, about getting started with it. Um, it's obviously a very hot topic at the moment, and it looks like there's a lot of content in and around it showing it to you end to end, basically, which we sometimes don't really see with a lot of other Microsoft products. It's kind of left to, especially in our field of like security, it's kind of left to partners and just, you know, third party YouTubers to sort of fill that gap sometimes, so to speak. But there's a lot of video content um, uh, to sort of take you through. The real first part of sort of um, getting started really is exploring um, exploring the, the suite of tools, the content that's there. And the big sort of push is the model catalog, um, which I want to I want to just talk about uh, briefly, because if you've ever looked at Hugging Face and trying to decipher as somebody that's relatively new to AI, trying to decipher the models that are there, what they the tasks that they're used for is relatively complex. It's it's like a it's it's like a different planet. That might just be my naivety, but it's it it is complicated, <laughs> um, to say the least. Um, so model catalog. I just wanted to call it out that it takes you through a way to look at different models and to compare them, in I believe a quite intuitive way. Um, you can sort of um, you can say, right, OK, I want to look through. Um, you can just explore the list um, of, of models that are in the catalog, but you can also benchmark them uh, for different um, types of tasks that you're doing. So, for instance, if you're doing text generation, you can um, select a number of models to compare them against each other. And it will effectively tell you um the accuracy level of those models, I believe they they use their own uh, data sets to sort of rank them. Um, because if you are doing it manually, and I've I've started going through a course uh, on fast AI and and actually building this, uh, selecting a model and building it out sort of manually, um, and they take you through this process of selecting a model, and because the vast majority of well, okay the vast majority of guidance that they give you in that course is to pick a pre-selected model to not try and um, create your own. It's to select a pre-trained model and refine it with your data. Right. So you don't um, you don't start from nothing and build your own model from scratch. Um, you use somebody else's model that they have tuned to their own data set, but for your specific task. So if your task is for text generation, as an example, so a generative large language model, you're, you're going to want to compare all of the public ones that you have access to. So as they roll out new versions of, say, GPT, um, you want to see what, because there's many different, so of a model, there are potentially many different versions of that model, depending on the amount of parameters that they have generally the the larger amount of parameters um are effectively given on a given data set they are more accurate um but they have a higher um, memory 
uh, requirement to run them. So I'm going to butcher the numbers. Uh, let's say like a a 30 billion, uh, a larger parameter model, you might run out of um, graphics card memory in order to train or to fine tune that model, um, dependent on your data set. It's hard, it, I can't describe it on a podcast. There's much many more variables than that. But it, you might be deciding, oh, should I use a lower uh, parameter count? Can I get away with using a lower parameter count? Why? Because my compute costs will be a lot lower. Um, so, and it's it's not really a one size fits all. Um, you know, um, one parameter might require more resources to do inference. So that's that's actually the process of asking it questions, as an example. Um, so, like on your hardware, if one one model is more accurate by let's say 1%, but it takes three times the amount of time to return back to you, which one are you going, you know, it's it's not like a, just a binary decision. I should pick one or the other. Do I want more accuracy or do I want more speed? Like you have to balance that. And there are there are hundreds, if not thousands, well, thousands of models that are out there that you could potentially start with. So even deciding what you're going to start with is a process in itself. And you know this this catalog is going to help you um uh, with that process um so deciding what model to start with um and that's effectively what um i did um azure has their own foundational models i'll probably call out so azure ai speech all the cognitive services effectively are um are are connected in that you can utilize um you, you know you know um in azure ai um, studio which kind of makes sense and we have got previous episodes i'll call it out at the end um about that so we've we've started to we've we've started to uh, like understand and select the model um that we that we want to we want to go through then it's really talking about uh building that sort of end-to-end -end process of how we're actually going to consume and use that model right because um how we actually do it it's like what's the magic glue that you know you get this open source model you connect it to your data so i'm going to walk through an example i followed their example so i'm just going to take you through um take you through that and the example is is to build your own co-pilot um, using user input prompts, but basically connected to your own um, uh, custom e-commerce data, um, basically. The only thing it, it, I did differently is I built my own um, e-commerce data. I didn't follow theirs just to see if it would work with like a custom um, one, basically. So um, to get started, you create a project inside of um, AI Studio. Um, you, you effectively create an AI hub um, and then a project um, within that hub, um, you they are Azure resources, um, basically. Um, it's, it, it's just a container. What's great about that is you have a resource to save state within. So it's like a project that you return back to. It's not like a one and done thing. It like lives on. Um, it, it's got a persistence and a life um, to it. Um, so um, to start off with, um, you create um, 
it, it takes you through creating a deployment. Um, so effectively, this is a, a real-time endpoint. Um, this is where you'll sort of um, interact um, with, with the service um, itself. Nothing really too um, crazy with that. Uh, the main thing that you do there is you select the model um, that you want to that you want to use. So for the example, we use GPT 3.5 Turbo um, 16K as an example. Um, um, and once that's uh, base, that deployment is is there, um, you can then w open what's called the playground. Um, and the playground is where it starts to get exciting, uh, really. So you, you've picked your model, um, you've got it open in the playground. Now, um, what you've got is you've got um, the ability to start chatting with that model straight away. Okay, so um, you, it, it, when you go to that playground, you see a chat session where you can start asking questions to your model that's deployed. So you've you've got a sort of a private interface to that that model straight away. Um, but the, the it, it's not really that helpful, really, because um, because it's just the same model you could interact with anywhere else, um, basically. The, the first thing that I started to look at is what's called the system message. And the system message is effectively a message that is sent with each one of your prompts, or at least the start of the chat, I believe, um, with, um, with the system to tell the system what it is, right? So the system message they use in the example is you are an AI assistant that helps people find information. So this prompts the AI model to um, give it the context of which the service that it's providing. So it's effectively to ground it, not ground it in your data just yet, but ground it in the context of how it's going to return, how it's going to talk back um, to you. So sort of describing to the model what it is, which is a bit, yeah, which is a bit weird, isn't it? <laughs> right? Because you're sort of telling the model like what to pretend it is, right? Because you know, yeah, who it is. you're talking to a language model, right? <laughs> you know, so you could say, you know, your name is Jarvis and you help people select their heated desk mat, right? As an example, right? You know, so like if somebody says, What's your name? it's gonna reply and say, My name is Jarvis, because your system message has baked that, baked that into it, right? You're not actually training the model to say, you know, it's Jarvis, it's Jarvis. You're basically saying, hey, pretend to be Jarvis, because that's what people are going to expect. Um, you're, you're almost giving it context, aren't you, as to what, yeah. what it is. Yeah, like you said, yeah. You're, you're grounding its generative AI, you know, ability back to you, you know. So, but that's a lie, right? Because this model's not named Jarvis. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the whole premise of generative AI that it's it's not real, right? <laughs> but there can be, even though it's not real, there can be value, you know, in what it's gonna um, what it's gonna. So, so, so in the example, they get you to search and say, how much does uh, one of the product name, you know, that you haven't connected any data to it yet, you just say what one of your product names is and how much does it cost, as the the basic example, and it returns and says. Um, I don't know, basically, um, you know, it can, it says, it, you know, it can, it's very generic. It says, um, you know, um, mouse mats um, can cost varying levels from different brands and qualities, X, Y, and Z. So it's actually giving you like a real, 
answer of I don't know. Uh, basically, it's not just saying I don't know, right? It's like giving you an actual generated um, um, response. And then, then um, that just makes sure that the actual model itself is working. Then we add our data, and this is where the sort of special part of it really comes in. So what you can do is you can add a data source um, and you can select from blob storage, obviously. Uh, you can also um, search from Azure uh, Cognitive um, Search. I'm going to do an episode on Cognitive Search because whilst I was doing this, I sort of side quested into that as well, which is it's quite important, I think, if you're going through this process to also know about Cognitive Search because it is quite powerful when they're combined. Another episode we're already 36 minutes in and we haven't even really got to the good stuff. So the last option is to upload files, which is what I did in my example. Um, and what it does is um, even if you upload your own files, it creates a cognitive search resource for you um, based on the files that you've uploaded. So it's eff effectively utilizing that technology um, here. Um, and then if you want to upload files, it gives you like a drag and drop to upload your files. Um, I just uploaded some uh, text files and then I tried some markdown files as well. You can upload PDFs, um, Word documents, uh, PowerPoint files, um, HTML files. Um, so it's quite, there's quite a lot of um, uh, different things that you can upload there. Um, and then effectively what that does is when you upload it, it's going to index that data in, in cognitive search uh, for you. That ingestion process takes a little bit of time. And then sort of the hello world that they ask you to do is to um, get you to ask the model um, what the price of one of those products is that you've uploaded. So my heated desk mat was $50. Um, and so um, I just asked it um, how much that same product that you search for previously you then ask for the same product it's in a different chat session um, but then what it will do is it will tell you the price in the thing and then it will give a reference to the actual file itself so if you upload like text files at the bottom it'll put like a little you know superscript one in and it will link you to the actual file as well so it'll be like this is the answer that i've got for you and this is the reason why i'm telling it to you so even though it's generated, it's actually telling you it's sort of reasoning for generating that content, which I think is really good, really, because it's sort of linking back to the source, um, if, if, if that makes sense. Um, so um, the, next, um, the next sort of stage of it, uh, really, is what's called um, uh, prompt flow. Um, and prompt flow is really about optimizing uh, the messages um, that are sent to Copilot's chat model. Um, so you create like a compute instance and a runtime for it. Um, now, so when you start creating uh, your prompt flow, um, it's what's the best way that I can describe this uh, prompt flow? So um, let's say you don't just want to talk to one data set in our simplistic example. Let's say you've got multiple data sets. Um, a prompt flow is sort of an ex 
uh, a workflow that it can flow through um, to managing different data flows and data sets uh, within your application. So you can sort of effectively map uh, what the AI is looking at um, as it goes through and it's deciding what to respond back to you, right? This is not sort of like a Q&A bot where it's going, if this, then that, if this, then that, taking you through a process. It's more of a a decision tree of um, how the model should uh, react and pull in different data sources dependent on the responses and prompts that you've given it. So so is that something like um, maybe if you were saying like the mouse mats and maybe we do we do the mice or the, yeah, the mice as well, you could say the if they're talking around mouse mats, then the data's here. And if it's the if we're talking about you know mice, then you know you look at the data set here, kind of thing. Yeah, um, it's uh, what's what it's really uh, powerful to do is um, each. Let me talk about the different nodes that you can basically put into a prompt flow, and it might it might describe it a little better than than I'm sort of um, um, uh, giving you. So. There are nodes which um, determine a user's intent of a user query. Um, so um, you can extract the, uh, the intent from a user prompt. You can go and retrieve and format documents from different places um, with, with nodes. Um, and then you can um, determine a reply back to the user, um, basically, once you've gone through that process, um, potentially. So, so think about it like a um, the ability to customize the response, um, so, sort of from start to finish. I think we could do a whole episode in prompt flow, um, but effectively, I, um, I, I just, I just used it to connect to do two different data sources, um, so that um, I could see that I was pulling in sort of data like product information from one place. And then I had like a bill of materials data set from somewhere else. And I wanted it to search through both of them, uh, not just one. Um, it's probably worth calling out that prompt flow is um, can be exported um, into code as well. So you can effectively get a code representation of that prompt flow. And you can also execute code in the prompt flow itself. Um, there were there were people talking about um, um, we're talking about that there's another open source oh, I can't remember what it's called now but there's another open source tool which is similar to Promptflow but I believe this is Microsoft's own implementation of a similar um, similar tool set um, and I think really the examples that that I've been through and it's that were given is really around formatting that data um, as it comes back. Um, to the model, uh, basically. So it's more about embedding code in in the prompt flow than it is um, anything else. So you've got your model, um, and this isn't an end to end walk walk through. Like it would, I, I'm not doing it justice. You need to work through the example um, and see um, it actually in action because it is actually quite smart when they take you through it. And there's quite a few steps to that prompt flow, so I can't really describe it um, on this podcast. The next part about so so you've got your you you know this is we just skipped over it, but you've got your model. Um, you're happy with your prompt flow. You've connected your data. Um, you're you're sort of um, happy with it. The next 
question really is, is how do you evaluate how effective it is? Because it's all well and good having your model connecting it to some data, but how do you really know if it's working properly? Um, what you can do is you can have um, a, an evaluation um, that you can create. So you um, you give it a question. Um, so like, you know, what is the cost of X, Y, or Z product? You tell it what the truth should be. So what it should respond to you with. Um, and you can also pre-can some chat history with it as well to give it more context. And you can effectively run that evaluation. Um, when you're doing that, you can effectively um, give it a set of metrics. Uh, so there's groundedness, uh, relevance, uh, retrieval score, which I believe are sort of industry um, set uh, metrics of how people evaluate. Um, because this is another part of it. It's not just a case of, you know, it's, it's it, all of these more advanced AI concepts of how do you productionize a model, evaluate it, test it, that they're actually bringing in um, uh, to, to this. This is all in a portal. You don't have to do any code whatsoever. There was some Python code for the prompt flow, um, but in theory, you don't even need that if you've just got a simple prompt with your own simple data set to start off with. Um, when you do your evaluation, um, you can upload like a CSV or um, a JSON file with, with that data basically in it to run it. Um, it will run that evaluation for you and it will show you the results um, and it will give you metrics about uh, the score, like the accuracy or the relevance, um, the, the groundedness um, scores. What you can then use is you can then use those reports to feed back to your other team team members. Um, and you can you can um, look at the your revisions of your prompt flows and your models that you're using over time to see how accurate they are. So you can effectively set up like an evaluation test that you all agree that's the questions and answers that you want to make sure are definitely covered. And then you can evaluate that um, each time uh, with, with your model. Um, then you can, um, that, that flow, that prompt flow that you've created, you can effectively um, deploy it to a virtual machine. So you've built your model, you've built your prompt flow, you've evaluated it, you're happy with it. Next stage is, is how would you actually, you know, utilize that? Um, and then what it allows you to do is it allows you to deploy that to a virtual machine. Um, and it also gives you an element of sizing for those virtual machines as well. So you can say, these are the numbers of virtual machines that I want to deploy to. Um, and it will handle effectively getting that model onto, a, um, onto the actual infrastructure itself. So you've built, refined, validated, deployed. Now you want to consume it from your application, right? So um, what you can effectively do is it gives you a, an endpoint that you can access, kind of like a cognitive services endpoint with, um, so you, you can get like a key um, basically um, to consume it um, and you just give it a URL um, and then you just do a like a web request to it to actually prompt from your UI that you've got. So you, you basically go from model data, training, evaluation to production in one single studio, right? 
and there's there's about a thousand other things in between but we're going sort of high level ish <laughs> with it right so but what what they're really doing is they're saying it's all well and good you utilizing an open source um you know a model and then maybe you you fine tune it you train it you fine tune it's not training but it's fine tuning it um you know and and this basically takes it end to end for you um you don't you could in theory use this without any other technology in between cool i mean it sounds i mean i'm guessing potentially you could kind of do this without ai studio in separate sort of things i guess that's kind of what you're saying but it's not all in one place it's not telling you sort of the next thing to do or giving you the tools in a like as it sounds a studio to to build it all yeah and you, you know we haven't even talked about um sort of a project collaboration you know it's got an rbac model you can bring people in um mm. it's vnet aware it understands azure and azure resources and bringing those things together you know um it's abstracting away a lot of that complexity for you leaving you to sort of just get on with all your ai sort of things you know selecting your model connecting your data refining you know and and evaluating and it gives you those tools you know um it, it gives you those tools in one singular place now as somebody that's trying to evaluate the efficacy and usability of ai because there's a there is a lot of let's call it hype out there about large language models right we are we are wanting use cases which help us you know sort of um, day to day with that and microsoft have made huge amounts of investments in the co-pilots right you know to start bringing it into organizations data because they they believe the productivity gain you know efficiency gain is there right so i don't think that we can i don't think it's right that we would ignore ai like it's it's not a thing but conversely you know we're not all um ai postgrads we're not all python developers i mean i have talked about prompt flow and embedding python uh, in these you know these these prompt flows right um so but but to get to the nitty gritty of um, getting your own model, uh, training or well, fine tuning it on your own GPU, going through that process, um, I've I'm going through that process on a different course that I'm doing, and it is immeasurably more complex than what AI Studio is giving you, because you've got so much to think about and to learn, right? And you know, some people will say, well, you just got to learn it, or you've got to buy in the resource to be able to help you with that. But that's not going to unlock it for everybody, is it? You know, that's not going to unlock it for um, a company that sells mouse mats, you know, because they they probably aren't in the business of building their own model or, you know, hiring an AI related developer or researcher to help them to build these models, you know, whereas AI Studio, you know, and I'm not a professional in this space, so I can't really claim its efficacy. It's basically saying, select your model, bring your data. We'll give you an end-to-end -end process f f to get it from dev to prod for you. All you got to do is, you know, put the glue in between. You know, um, 
and that is that is really the essence of AI Studio, from from what I've seen of it um, so far. Yeah, those mouse mats be really expensive if you had to bring in a lot <laughs> yeah. of uh, imagine the R and D Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Four four grand for a mouse mat. Um, <laughs> okay, so I guess the question kind of about price, not necessarily mouse mats, but um, yeah, you know, how much does it cost? Uh, yeah, AI Studio. Yeah, so I we don't know about AI Studio itself at this moment in time. Um, not that I can, not that I can find, um, but you are going to consume underlying resources in order to do some of these things. So, if you're going to deploy your, if you're going to deploy your model, your prompt flow, and your connectors, um, if you're going to do that, then um, you're going to use compute resource to run them. Um, if you use Azure's open Azure's cognitive services um, or that open AI service, you're going to be charged for that consumption of those models that you're that you're running um, there. So it's it's really around what um, you know what what it is you're using. Um, another one is um, Azure AI search. Um, there's 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 a price in there to do that to create that search index and to go through and, and to go through there um you know if you're peering it uh connecting it to it transferring data you're going to have egress and networking costs um with that um if you integrate with key vaults uh, which you can do for your connection information um you're also going to incur some costs there as well um i I'm not going to really call out. Um, I effectively used nothing. Well, I didn't even notice it on my, but I was, you know, I was, I was going through the process in and out, deleting it X, Y, or Z. So I can't really comment on how much I used because I used very little. And my data set was absolutely tiny. It was, you know, five products uploaded manually, you know, um, deployed to a virtual machine for like an hour, you know, so it didn't even register, basically. So I, I guess maybe if you were starting, you didn't have your big data model to start off with, it, trying to understand whether you could build something with you know, maybe a smaller data, a, a sample of your data set, then it were kind of saying that it's not, it, the, potentially the cost of, of it because of the, the underlying resources might be reasonable to start off with. I think that's probably a fair thing again it depends on how big your virtual machine and stuff where you deploy it is things like that i guess yeah and there's the model cost as well there's infrastructure and there's model costs as well because some of these models are licensed via the marketplace and do cost right. per you know uh, execution and there's different pricing strategies dependent on yeah there's uh, there's a lot of different uh things there the only a uh, good thing that there is is um, when you go to cost analysis on your resource group, it is AI aware. It understands all of the different resources that you've got, um, and there is a link through to access um, all of that costing as well. And the documentation on the costing is actually uh, quite good on the Learn site um, about it. Okay, great. Um, okay, so you said about um, some call outs of other episodes that we've done with. Um... Sort of talking about AI and things like that. 
yeah, so obviously this episode was really just a first um, look. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna try my best to find some real use cases um, for for AI uh, AI Studio. We, we we might revisit it actually when uh, it goes GA because pricing could wildly shift it. Will it be free? You know, don't know. I I I don't I I can't I can't comment on that really. But um, so it's gonna be interesting to see when pricing drops. So maybe we'll do a recap episode on it. Um, and maybe I'll have a bit more time to play with it uh, before then as well. But yeah, just to go to previous episodes, um, season four, episode 25, I believe. Do we have 25 episodes in season four? Maybe we did. We had lots. Yes. We had lots. Um, co- <laughs> co-pilot solutions episode where we talk about, uh, we well, we attempt to talk about uh, different co-pilots. That episode's probably, <laughs> no, it's not out of date. No, it's, it's pretty up to date. It's pretty good. Um, and then season three, episode 11, uh, I, did an, I did an episode on Azure Cognitive Services. Um, that one is a while ago. We might have to do a, an updated um, one on that because there's a, a lot of new stuff in that area since then. Yeah, and that, I mean, that, that doesn't. I didn't think that, think that was that long ago. To be fair, but <laughs> scary, isn't it? Really mm. scary. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. So next episode, um, I'm going to look at. Uh, kind of bring it back again, um, but I'm going to talk about vulnerability management and sort of uh, Microsoft's take on you know what you know, what technologies they have to do that. So. We briefly talked about, I think last maybe last week with Defender for Endpoint. Um, we've previously done a, an episode on Defender vulnerability management, um, but you know there's other bits you know in Defender for Cloud um, and how some of that new some of the new capability there is also helping uh, in those cloud services. So I think it's just worth just running through about how Microsoft use you know the various technologies to to sort of deal with vulnerability management. Nice, yeah, that was a good episode. Cool. Okay, so if you did enjoy this episode, please do consider leaving us a review on Apple and Spotify. Uh, this really helps us reach out to more people like you. If you have any, any specific feedback or suggestions around episodes, uh, we have a link in our show notes to get in contact with us. Yeah, if you've made it this far, thank you ever so much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Yeah, thanks all.